I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. You guys have done something fantastic here. You've obviously lived a much double Oh my, a little bit more. <laughs> oh my God. Totally. Let's not calculate. No, no let's not count the first seven years of my life because I didn't do anything. Okay? I was a little kid then. My name is Steph Claysmith and I'm Laura Henshaw. I never said this workout was going to be easy. <laughs> do you think you have an advantage or a disadvantage in both being very beautiful? It's something that I think we used to get a lot of shit for. Like, how can you tell us? that you, it's about how you feel when you look the way that you look and you live in a size eight body that's white, that is very, very accepted. You've gone from full-time model and influencer. You don't know anything about running a business. These girls mustn't be doing that. They must just be in the content. If they judge me and it's true, I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, the world's full of knockers. Laura and Steph, welcome to Straight Talk. Thank you for, having, for having us. By the way, I got, I got your book here. Um, you're both young women. Mm-hmm. What does you take care audience? Who is the audience that you're talking to? Great question. So it's it's for women in their predominantly women in their in their twenties and kind of early thirties, and it's a guide in looking after yourself and your body. But I think what we've learned through the years, it's a it's it's so special this book because we, we wrote a book in would have been around twenty eighteen. No, it came actually, out in twenty eighteen. Yeah, sixteen. Obviously, the process of book writing is quite long, and that one was all about getting through your teens. So it was really special to to write this one because I think when you enter your twenties, there is so much, especially around health, because we think about health, we think of sleep exercise and nutrition which is what we're taught in in school which is all they're all so 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 important but there's so much else that comes into you know our mental health things that we go through feelings of you know shame fear um and anxiety all these things that we probably don't talk a lot about until we feel them and then when we feel them it's really hard to navigate them so we wanted to try and put as, as much as we could into the book of kind of yeah looking after yourself and your mind and your body and it's not a rule book Absolutely not. It's mm. just it's just a guide of lessons that we've learned, and then also um, through our podcasts and people that we've been able to to meet on our kick journey, their advice as well. Yeah, the obvious question will be from the narcs or the or the, the critics. How is it that women still in their twenties mm. have the? I'm thirty. Okay, thirty. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thirty, but, but 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 just out of your twenties, just shy of the twenties. But how is it that you have the? experience and authority to t- talk to other women just kicking off in their 20s. But for the critics, for those people who are going to have a crack, what do you say to them if they say to you, well, how do you know how to give advice or talk about the topics that relate to 20-year-olds? 
Well, because we are and it's our lived experience now. So I feel like you you listen to the people that you relate to the most. And if we were to write to a 20-year-old when we got to 40, we're not as relevant to them anymore and life's a little bit different. So I would say it's because we've had these lived experiences in the last decade of our lives. And then all the other people, the experts that are in the book, they're not necessarily all in their 20s either. Um, But it's all the different people that we've met as well. It goes outside of our own lived experiences and and what we've learned along the way. And I think as two, I'm 29, I'm not 30 yet, <laughs> but as two young women, we've also gone through a lot together when it comes to business, when it comes to life. Like we've had a lot of experiences, maybe some arguably more than others would before they're 30. So I think that there's definitely enough that we had to say and enough that we had to share. Um, And I think it's special when you get to talk to people when they're in that moment, even if it is something that you've only just passed because it's fresh in your mind and it's it's all relevant and the community the right i think too with yeah. kick we we're so lucky that we we have a community of around 50,000 people that we get to speak to and be around all the time and our audience predominantly is 20 to 30 year old women mm. and so through that we are able to hear so many experiences from so many people and that was also what really really came into this book what were they going through what were they looking for what what kind of guide were they after and that that all went in it's interesting your generation as opposed to my generation and i'm like you know, couple of generations beyond you or before you, um, we never shared anything with anybody. Like, in fact, you wouldn't even tell someone you weren't happy, mm. um, you know, like because no one listened and no one really cared. There was, there's an old saying in my generation, your enemies won't believe you and your friends don't give a damn. So don't say anything. Mm. That was a saying mm. growing wow. up. And whereas you live in a – totally different yeah. culture, the notion of sharing, mm. sharing experiences, is it just women sharing with other women or is it everyone? Obviously I'm not in your uh, cohort so I don't know. Nearly, just just out there. Just, yeah, <laughs> just the outside. Today I feel a long way out so don't worry about that. No, it's, it's a great question. I think for us if we go back to when we started Kick and how we've been able to kind of build what we have, Kick is a health and wellness app we really, really ensure we kind of champion the, the three areas of health, the best app in Australia. <laughs> no, well, you Truly. can say that. No, no, go for it. No, no, seriously, go for it. And so that's our core. That's our business. That's yep. what we do day to day. And we're all about making, helping people make sustainable changes in their life. We are not a quick fix. We're not a fad diet program. We are about, we are about empowering people with tools that they can sustain for the rest of their lives, which is really, really important, especially for, for young women. There's so much pressure through social media and, and the media in general on focusing on the way that you look instead of the way that you feel. And so we're, we're really trying to change that narrative with everything that we do through Kick the app and then an extension of that is, is the book. And when, when we go back to when we started with sharing kind of, you know, what we were going through, that's all we know. That's how Steph and I are. And I think that's, that is how we started to cultivate the community that we had because I think when you share one thing and it might seem really scary at the start when you share something like an, and, you know, you're, you're vulnerable, to be able to know that sharing your lived experience then helped, mm. even if it's just one person feel less alone in their experience, it is such an incredible feeling and, I mean, it's why we, we do what we do. And so we learned that very early on. Um, in on our journey with Kick, and we've kind of never looked back. And it, it's the only way, honestly, because people will often ask, "Oh, how, with your social media, do you do you plan it? How do you do it?" 
And with our key cap business page, absolutely, we have we have a team. But with our personal pages, no, because we you can't plan to be vulnerable. You can't plan what you're going to go through. But we try and share as much as we can because we just we just know that it's social media can be a really really hard place, and, and we want people to feel as I suppose not alone and a part of something um, as as we can. Yeah. Are you content providers? I mean, they're my business. I'm a content mm. provider. That's my business. Mm. I publish you or broadcast you, your content for my audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not really sharing anything myself other than what you might find out whilst we're talking, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, on the other hand, at your personal levels, are sharing personal experiences. It's mm-hmm. very personal. Mm-hmm. Where's the difference between the two? Content creators or influencers, personal stories? I think when it comes to kick, there is a magical mixture of the two of those things. So obviously we create content, there's workouts, meditations, there's so much content to access in the app. And we are market leading in that area. Like it's beautiful content. We put a lot of love and effort into it and it's very well received. But the other part of the content that is well received is the authenticity. So within the workouts, you know, we might be really struggling (laughs) and we'll show that we're not about being this like high aspirational, you should be able to do a burpee like me. This is the perf looks perfect. And even with our trainers, they talk through struggling through things and getting puffed and being excited for the break and all of that stuff that goes through your mind when you're following a workout. Um, and then even in the meditations, there's a lot of vulnerability and we speak to a lot of emotions and feelings through that. And all of our experts really champion kind of, um, being there for your being there for yourself and then being there for others and showing that vulnerability and showing that as like a strength because I think when you squash your feelings or you push them to the back which I'm sure and I know because obviously I have I have people in my life that are from your generation I know that 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 you're in your life you were kind of told to not cry not show those feelings and squish them to the back I know whenever I've done that it's bottled up and it's been made so much worse down the line and I've got to a point of, you know, emotional breakdown um, or I've really let it get to me. And so we've found and through working with our community, being there with our community and hearing them support each other and encourage each other through hard times, that as soon as you nip something in the butt and like talk to someone about it, it's so much easier to work through and you just call it out. And so we, re- we really do champion that even through the content that we, even the polished content that we share through Kick Socials or in the app itself, it's still really important that that authenticity is there. And I think something that the community has actually said to us that they've seen as different from some of our competitors is that we have soul and that they feel like kicks a bit of a warm hug to them as well as it's teaching them stuff and encouraging them to be, you know, the healthiest version of themselves. We're also just supporting them through life, which is just so beautiful to us. Do you think you have an advantage or a disadvantage in both being very beautiful? <laughs> uh, well, I think, I mean, both. <laughs> I, I well, think in terms both. of when we started, when we started Kick before, when we yeah. started with an ebook in 2015, there is definitely absolutely privilege in the fact that we both came out of the modelling industry. And oh, absolutely. I, there is no doubt that, I mean, Steph had a social media following, which was helped us with our marketing because we didn't have a marketing budget. But there is no doubt in the world that people wanted our recipes. There would have been some people because they saw how we looked and we thought, I want to eat like they do. They there is, I want to look like they do. Exactly right. Yeah. There, is, there is no doubt in the world. However, what we've been able to do, we, I, we often think about this and it's really interesting. It's something that I think we used to get a lot of shit for. Like how can you tell us that you? it's about how you feel when you look the way that you look and you live in a size 8 body that's white that is very, very accepted by, you know, the modeling industry. Yeah. Exactly in a right. standard sense. Yeah. Exactly right. 
But I think with us, we were so lucky that we were able, and I, I shouldn't use the word lucky, we use it too much. We did build, we, we worked really hard to build what we had. And in being able to build that, we then had a platform where we were able to talk to a lot of young women. Mm. And so we had a choice. We could have just said, okay, no, we live in this standardized body that, you know, they can't relate to. Or we could say, no, we, because we are so lucky to live in this body, we want to do good with our platform and what we have. And we want to help everyone, no matter what they look like, it's, it's not about that feel good in their own skin. And that that's what is so beautiful about Kika. As Steph was saying, it's people will come in and, and they might, it's not about losing weight. It's not about, it is about feeling good and having energy and, and everything, but they might feel, it doesn't matter if their body has changed, but they feel comfortable in a sports bra now, but they never have before. And it's not because mm. of a physical change. It's because of a change within them that they feel accepting of themselves and I think the fact that we've been able to do that and also now Kik has grown to what it is today it's not about Steph and I anymore we're obviously mm. still still a really big part of it we run the business but it is about the community and Kik is community so it's not just us anymore and I think yeah it's absolutely important to acknowledge that that's how we started and with our platform but we're I think I just I feel really proud of, of what what we've been able mm. to do with it yeah but I, I and I you know because it's there are a lot of people around who you know, the world's full of knockers, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. particularly in this country. But, um, and, you know, I often have people sitting in that, that seat there who by no fault of their own have been blessed with something that society mm. deems more acceptable than other. Mm-hmm. It could be in intellect, it could be anything, skills, physical beauty, sporting pro- prowess, whatever the case may be. And it's funny, a lot of those people actually feel guilty for being that way, mm. how do you, or have you ever felt guilty or felt um, or the unfairness, perhaps? And what did you do? How did you deal with that? I mean, you know, how did you deal with it yourself, within yourself? I was not ever the best at sport, the smartest kid. But what I learnt through my schooling was that if I tried very hard and probably had to do put in many more hours than other people, I did, I could do well, and. Effort equals reward. Exactly right. The harder you work, the the more you get out. However, what I have now, as I've learned more about the world and and I grew up, we were both really lucky. We grew Mm. up in in families that we weren't from, we both didn't go to private schools, but we, you know, we we were comfortable growing up. And I think what I have learned and been really challenged with, and and even in writing this book, it was something we were really conscious with, is Mm. saying things around that saying, the harder you work, the the more luck you will get or the, the more you will get. There is so much privilege in that Mm. because there are people that work their whole lives. They work three jobs to try and provide for their family. They, you know, they start businesses or they they might work at a restaurant and then they have to go and um, work at a hotel or whatever it might be. And they never, ever, ever find that little piece of luck or get in a position where they're with people in the, in the room. It's been interesting with Kik, the Mm. more people I think have, um, the more the business has grown, the more opportunities have opened for us that never would have been opened five years ago. And so it is mentally, I think it's something that, and especially in writing this book, it's something we were very, very conscious of because it is so important to acknowledge for some people, they work their whole lives Mm. so hard and they don't get the success that other people are able to have. And that's where I think luck comes into it and and also privilege. So it is, it it is, it's, it's a really, I think it's hard. It's hard to think about and, and work through. It's funny, you know, you should say that you're only young and you've recognised something that took me a long time to recognise. Um, I used to live on the basis when I was a young man. Uh, before I started work, I used to take the view 
I work. I will, will work hard because my parents worked hard. So I was monkey see, monkey do. Mm. Then in my twenties and thirties, I got to you know I got a, quite a good job in the city when I was mid twenties, and uh, I saw all these people had these really fancy things, cars, houses. Like I, I grew up, you know, pretty working class family, and I saw things I'd never seen before. I realised the harder I work, the more more money I'm going to make, and that I can become a partner of a firm. So I worked on that basis, effort mm-hmm. equal reward. But it wasn't until I started seeing friends of mine becoming incapacitated through strokes or illness and stuff like that, bad health basically, mm. from drinking too much, whatever, that I realised that hard work was an honour as opposed to something just for reward. It was actually an honour bestowed upon us that we can work hard, mm-hmm. that privilege. It, the privilege is that I physically can work hard. Mm. And as a result of that, you know, I do quite well, but I, I, it's not because I'm trying to earn money. It's because I have a, I recognize the privilege of being able to work hard. And that's very interesting that you said that. It's quite, for me, really mature. I'm not trying to be condescending towards you, but it's quite a mature thing to say at your age. And I think maybe your cohort are probably much more mature. We're getting back to where I started, much more mature than anyone was in my era in the 20s and and you have that's why you are able to share and people are actually able to accept your sharing too probably to a large extent the content you produce for your app is so successful because your audience is much more mature than any audience that I've ever seen or heard of or dealt with in my my time mm. have you ever thought this through and what do you put it down to why do you think audiences between 20 and 30 or even younger but at least your audience it's probably slightly older than that too now but why do you think they accept your vulnerabilities? Yeah, great it's, question. It's a hard one. I think. Um, I mean, if I can speak from from personal experience, I know that the people that I look up to or I might admire, I think you can put people on a pedestal for for only so long, right? And there's something really beautiful about when you see a vulnerability or a struggle of theirs that you can. May, may or may not relate to, but it just makes them appear more real and it may make their success or um, something that's happened in their life maybe more accessible to you from, from seeing that, right? Because I think for so long without over-communicating these kind of struggles or the realness that we all go through in life, people can look at something like social media, which for a lot of accounts is just a highlight reel. Um, and maybe aspire to live like that, but not really understand the the negative impacts that person might've had in their lives. Maybe the sacrifices that they've had with their family, working so hard, not getting to see them. Um, who knows? They might have a mental illness that they don't speak about. Like there is so much that isn't shown. And so I feel like without showing that side, you're, you're making big aspirations and dreams too hard for people to reach. And then that would just in turn make them feel terrible about never reaching them, if that makes sense. So, yeah, it does. Um, I think that's what our generation has kind of recognized. And I think we've recognized that over communicating isn't a bad thing. Um, and as much as there is definitely still tall poppy in this Australian <laughs> society, um, and definitely still, it's definitely still prevalent in our generation. There's no doubt about it. I think we are getting better at seeing the best in people and seeing people for having the best intentions mm-hmm. and, and, even when they make mistakes or, you know, they're honest about something that might have gone wrong, I think we do 
appreciate that more than maybe we used to. We are challenging the way we see success Mm. and what a successful Mm. life is because I think for a very long time, and it's still very much the case for I think some beliefs, but I think in our generation particularly, we don't feel like we have to finish school, go to university, have get married and then have a child and have a house. And a mortgage. Like, and a mm. mortgage. Like that yeah. is the, uh, put it in that was quotation my mark. That's the Australian yeah. dream, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's a lot of people's dreams still. Exactly. And yeah. that, that's fine. But I think what, in our demo, I think we're really starting to challenge that if that is not the path that we want to go down or if that is not the path mm. that feels right to us right now, also if that path takes us 40 years instead of five, that's okay. And challenging what, because I think it's so interesting and I wanted to ask you as well with your relationship with money because I think for us, I mean, for me growing up, money was something that, I mean, in my parents' divorce, it was the, all I can remember as a kid is arguments about money and they, they, they did the best for us and, and it's just money is very, very stressful when you don't have a lot of it. Mm. And so for me, I had a really, my relationship with money growing up, and this is something we, sp- we speak about in the book too, was it was about it was you had to preserve it and you had to have an account just in case something really bad happened and it was Rainy kind of a scarcity, mm. a, a scarcity mindset, right? And so I think now obviously with the success we've had through Kick, I have really struggled to redefine my relationship with money because I think because it was the when you don't have it, it feels like it's everything. But when you have it, there's so much more to life. And obviously it comes from a very privileged position to say that I'm in a financial position where I'm not in a stress. It's not scarce currently mm-hmm. in my life. Maybe it will be one day, but I don't know. And so I think it, it, for me, I've really had to challenge internally. You know, I'm, I've bought things that I always thought like designer items. I've always thought that I, that would make me really happy. And then you, when I have it, I don't, I almost feel guilty f- for having it because it's like, well, that's a lot of money on a something that uh, I could do something else with that or other people don't have that or whatever it might be. And it's been, it, yeah, it's been an interesting, um, that, that relationship. And we, we do go into it in the book because obviously financial health is really important. Um, interesting just navigating it. I drive a Toyota Hilux and I could probably, I used to drive an Aston Martin and I get more fun out of driving the Hilux. There's a lot more you can do with the Toyota <laughs> But it's cool. Like I yeah. just think it's cool. Like I, I enjoy it. And uh, and it's, it's funny, you know, like uh, I went through the, exactly the same thing um, many, many years ago. And I also have that had that guilt thing too, by the way. Like, that was heavy on me. And I just feel better and freer not parading around in a fancy car. Although Hilux is pretty good. It's not a cheap car, <laughs> but, but it's still it's a good car yeah. and it's, it's not fancy. Is Toyota a sponsor? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about that in the book. You cover these sorts of things. Mm. And it also it comes down to our personal values too. It's what are they? You have to, and, and still, I, I would say we're both still navigating it. I, I, I don't think you can show they who you are at 30. Mm. Exactly right. They, they change evolve. all the time. Yep. Exactly right. We evolve. And so I think it, it's around and a big theme of the book is finding, working out what those values are for you and then finding confidence and I suppose a safety in knowing that this is what I care about. So when all these other things happen, it might be around money or it might just be around personal things like judgment from others, for Mm. example. Something for me I've had to work through is that my KPI in my role as CEO of Kick and also my role in life Mm -hmm. is not to be liked. And that is really hard. Not to be liked. Not to be liked. You don't want to be liked. 
Well, I don't want to be hated, yeah, but yeah. it's not for me as someone who's a people pleaser and um, and really cares about what every single person thinks. I've had to learn that you cannot please every single person, Got it. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. in running a business, but then also in your life and, you know, what we do on social media, not everyone's going to like us. And so if I have my core value in my life as being liked by everyone, I'm never, ever, ever mm. going to feel fulfilled. So for me, it's been trying to work through that and change that, and that that's kind of what we we also work through as a theme theme through the book. Do you mind if I ask you, like, what was it that made you realise that that there was a value in you that you wanted to be liked by everybody, and and when did you work it was a problem? Oh well, I think I mean through social media, it's something that through get and it's something that Steph helps me navigate so much with trolls. You know, someone someone in I don't know rural South Australia who's seventy five. Hated my post. And you would always spend oh, so real. much this time. Is real. This is real. And I'd, and, I'd, and I'd be like, oh, Steph, Betty, who's 75 from <laughs> rural South Australia, she <laughs> thinks that I'm stupid and I shouldn't be doing this. And and Steph would say, okay, well, we don't know who this is. She's ever met you. It's it's okay to work through this. And that's kind of a funny example, but it was it was things like that. And I think for me it was working through, there were times, like for example when we started our podcast, a lot of people said to us, you're just trying. I remember this one review that we read that I read. Steph doesn't read that. I don't read smart. reviews. I'm, I'm, I just go 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 right in. Um, but I I read it and it said something like, "You're really good at what you do with kick. Why don't you just stay in your lane? You're not. You don't really know what you're doing with podcasts. So just you know, don't do it." And I I remember thinking, reflecting on that back now. If we took that, or you can apply this to anything in your life. If you have one thing that you start at, we're never going to be perfect when we start, right? But we stop that one person's judgment yeah. who we're not living our life for that person from living our life the way that we want to and pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. Like that is such a sad life to live mm-hmm. for other people and also just doing exactly what we do because we put people in boxes. And when people that we know in our lives, and I, we have to always, I do this sometimes, I have to really go in deep inside and say, am I judging this because they're not in the box that I'd put them in or is it for other reasons? I feel like as, as humans we put people in boxes and we think, okay, this is what mm. they do. This is how successful they will be. And when people push outside that, we feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and it really challenges us mentally and then that's when judgment comes. So I think for me it's been having to continually remind myself that I do not need to fit in a box that other people want me to fit into. It is my life. It is my decision how big the box is or how small it is. Or and if you make a, a mistake, box, it's right? your problem. Mm. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we're the ones, it's like when we started Kick, this person that doesn't think that we can do it, they're not going to be the one that's up at 1am in the morning trying to work through, you know, whatever we're working through. It's us. And if we're, as long as you're, which comes back to values, if you're living your life truly for yourself, mm. then you'll be able to work through those things. But it is, it's really hard. And I think one thing for me that really helped was Mark Manson's book. Yep. The orange one. Yep. Say it. Go on, just say it. Is it? I, I love I watching always, her swear. The, 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 subtle, the subtle art of not getting. Is know, it shit or fuck? I can't remember. He yeah, was on the show about a month ago. Was, I listened. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. cool you had yeah, him yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Truly, I was like, this yeah, <laughs> we're no. going on the same podcast as book. But that book helped me because he very, very, he's not self-help in a way that it's like cuddled, cuddly and flowers. It's like. You cannot, if you're going to live your life, 
with fear of others' judgment, you're going to live a shit life. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, and it's true. Yeah. So do, that was in 2016, I think that book came out. So you were you reading it like when you were much younger? I read it you in read 20. I read it a lot of times. But the first time it was one of those books. You know the books that are always at the airport, and you're like, yeah. it's always in bestsellers. Well, you used to sit up there because you used to say it's subtle art, not giving a fuck. And, uh, and then and, they put and, the and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, but, and you thought, well, I should I better buy that book? And but I look. had it. I bought it because I was like, well, everyone else has bought it, so I better buy it. And then it just sat in my my room for ages. And then I was actually back at the airport and I re bought it because I was like, no, I'm going to read this. So it was in 2020 and I felt like I really needed it. And it was really, mm. I, when you know, when you come into contact with a piece of content just at the moment that you need it, it was, it was, it was like that. Like for the me. universe Good book. told you to do it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, and what about you, Steph? If you, you seem to be less concerned about by just by look at things and but just the sense I'm getting from you sitting there, less concerned <laughs> about what people think. Yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Why I'm that way inclined. And it's not that I don't care about what people think. There's definitely times when I um, when I will take a hit and for some reason some horrible comment or judgment will affect me. Like there's no doubt about it. I'm only human. Um, but I think I have just worked through so much in my life and, and improving things for myself and knowing that I'm doing what I want to be doing and what fulfills me um, and doing it for myself, as Laura said, and not really doing it for anyone else. I mean, other than Laura's, <laughs> she's my business partner. Um, and I think because I'm doing that and I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it for anyone else, other people's judgment doesn't really affect me. And I think for too long, I might've been that person that judged others and, and thought negatively of something that they might've done and put people on pedestals. And it was only when I kind of realized that I had been doing that to myself and that there were people that were doing that to me that I started to feel really guilty for that. Um, and I think over the last decade of my life, it's taken a lot of work, but I am at a stage in my life where I genuinely, I, I know I not everyone likes me and that's fine with me. There's a lot of people that I love in my life or there's a lot of people that I look up to that I know don't have fans, like that people don't really necessarily like or agree with. And so I think it just comes down to everyone's values are really different. What we like is really different. What we're good at is really different. Um, and I think going back to your question earlier about, you know, kind of pretty privilege and, and how it's worked for us and how it might have been a disadvantage at times. I think something that I've had to work through over the last decade, especially in running a business, is being put in that box mm. of, you know, you've gone By from. Others. Yeah. You've gone from full-time model and influencer um, you don't know anything about running a business. These girls mustn't be doing that. They must just be in the content. They're the marketing girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and full of shit. Exactly. Yeah. And for a while it bothered me, but I kind of quickly was like, well, it's going really well. So <laughs> it's going really well for us. Yeah, and we're making money. So we're making shit. money <laughs> and we're helping a lot of people. And so who cares what they think? Mm. They can think that I'm just in the content. I'm fine with that. Um, and it, it, but it, it has been a struggle at the same time because I think one of my biggest insecurities has been, you know, thinking that I'm dumb or thinking that I'm not an I'm not an academic person. I'm not naturally an academic person. I'm definitely more creative. Um, even through school, I was much more drawn to the kind of creative subjects and um, health and art and pay and food tech, all that sort of stuff. Which is funny because it's very it's much really aligned to what I do now. <laughs> So it's great. Um, however, because throughout high school I was kind of put in this box of, um, you know, just this pretty girl who didn't really need to be smart um, and because my aspirations were around modelling, it was like no one expected me to ever do anything more than just look a certain way, which in turn 
was really shocking through my early 20s because then it meant that my whole identity was the way I looked. And so that's where I fell into an incredibly unhealthy pattern with, you know, my, my relationship with exercise and food was at a really, really bad state because all I gave a shit about was the way I looked and became really obsessive, especially being full-time in the modeling industry. So it's kind of had its disadvantages along the way, but through it, um, obviously using it to our advantage and, and making the most of the platforms that we have, um, it's definitely something that we've, that I've still had to work through. And so I think that's the only time people's judgment can come in, into, I suppose, hit a, an insecurity of mine is when they might judge my intelligence. Um, that sometimes can still affect me, but other than that, I couldn't care. If someone said something about the way I looked or um, even in what we do at Kick, I believe wholeheartedly in what we do at Kick and I know we're doing the right thing. So I couldn't really give two shits if someone said something <laughs> negative about that. <laughs> Can I actually, because like, it's funny, is it a work in progress? Because like I'm 67 this year, right? So, uh, you know, you would think someone like me has got over it. But last week I got a letter from a share, one of my shareholders in one of the companies I'm involved with. I've got lots of different businesses, but one of them. And um, this individual uh, identified itself as uh, being someone of substance and uh, being someone who I need to listen to because of the number of shares that this particular individual allegedly holds. And uh, it was in a letter. It was an email. And then uh, that email was shared with me. It wasn't sent to me. It was sent to someone else in my business that then shared it with me. But made all sorts of... Well, yeah, what I consider judgments on me, mm. and I flew into a rage. Mm. It was a "How dare you mm. say that about me?" That's just because it, for me, defense. The unfairness, mm. yeah, code is really important yeah. to me. I tend try not to be unfair to, towards anybody. I try not to be. It doesn't mean I'm not, but I try not to be. But when someone's unfair to me unfairly judge me. If they judge me and it's true, I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> but if they unfairly judge me mm. about something that I'm doing, particularly something that I'm passionate about, and, you know, my passion in this particular business is about helping people borrow money so they can buy their big dream, their home. You know, that that's, that's and the main reason I do that is because I lived through a period in my life where I could never afford a home. Yeah. And I never thought I would ever be able to afford a home. So for me to be able to go and help people have this Great thing that I knew and never had. It's really important to me, yeah. and I work really hard in the business. But when I saw this, I, I, I literally went to a rage. You know, and uh, like, if murder was not a crime, <laughs> I probably would have done it. <laughs> you know, like, do uh, they listen to your podcast? <laughs> pardon? Do they listen to your podcast? Yeah, I think this individual does, okay. um, and well, probably, yeah, probably listen to this. But then I started thinking about it, and I thought to myself, well, maybe the individual doesn't really know what I do day to day. Yeah. And uh, maybe from this individual's point of view, their point of view is correct and therefore the judgment is correct, ill-founded but nonetheless mm. correct mm. and I shouldn't be so upset about it. My point being to you is these things never change. You, you might think you understand how to get on top of it, mm. but you're going to be, in my case, Lisa, forever working on this stuff. Totally. Oh, it's 100%. always going to happen. Yeah. And I hopefully you sort of let people know who read your book. Yeah. Your, you know your audience, the people who look up to you, and people yeah. who want to buy the book and understand your experiences. Let them understand that because it's okay. Oh, totally. To get angry and get upset, you know, 
I get angry. I don't get sad. I don't cry, but I get angry. Like, you know, and, uh, but at the same time, it's not okay to stay that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to just work through it a little bit. Yeah. Just settle a little bit. Don't do anything straight away and just think it through. And now I'm, you know, it's only a few days old, that event, and I'm, I'm okay with it as of yesterday. And, uh, and I also have a solution. And it's about meeting the individual and talking that individual through. If they don't get it at the end of it, then there's no I don't thing. give a fuck. <laughs> <Is that murder>? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. Because they may, they don't yep. know what I do. They wouldn't have a clue how hard I work in the business, what I feel about the business. You know, they, they, they don't know. They just yep. sort of see bits and pieces, especially mm-hmm. on social media. So, do you feel as though, or do you tell people here? Because I don't want people to think, and I guess you don't want people to think that. I've got all the solutions. We have all the answers. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, it's, and do you let let people know that? Because oh, absolutely, everyone's going to got to continually search the book. Search That's the, the whole book. That's I mean, the book. It's is not it? a rule book. We no, would never. And I think no. anyone that knows us, and even in how we lead in real, the business, not real rule. You mean rule? Rule. It's not a rule book. It's not a book of rules. It's not a rule book. And because we don't have all the answers, and that is a theme of this book. And I think too, in in everything that we do, we always say to our team, the number one thing I always say to them is, I don't have all the answers. I don't know. I don't know everything. I don't know much. And I think that's kind of awesome because we've got so much time. To, to learn and grow but I think in this book especially for example it's it's you know if you're having a, a really anxious and having a really hard time with your mental health there are sometimes things you can do to make you feel better but sometimes Those things they don't work. don't work and you just want to you don't want to do a meditation you want to throw your phone in the bit <laughs> yeah. and that's okay and that's that's what we talk through in in this book mm. and it's something too and, and we, we it's a big theme it is it's a journey and it's hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Confidence is a big theme in, in the book as well, but we speak about it's not a confidence of this is what you need to do and you'll be confident. It's here's some things that helped us, but it doesn't help us every day. And sometimes we have mm. really hard, sometimes it's hard. And it, as you were talking, it's funny. And I wonder if you remember this moment. I remember it would have been, it was a few years ago now. And it was, we were in a room and we, we did a presentation to a room of people that were, <laughs> you remember, yeah. that were not our normal demo. It was very corporate. And uh, a we were room, extremely. A money, moneyed room. Uh, sure. Yep. <laughs> sure. I can't say anymore because the person yeah. will know. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. it was <laughs> very corporate. And we were so nervous and we spoke and we, you know when you finish a talk and you think, I did a really good yeah. job. Nailed and it. that that was because we went in with so much nerves and then we, we we did a great job and we got everyone in some people that we work with were in the room and there were people that were kind of more aligned with kind of what they do coming up to them because they would go to them not us but that's fine and say oh 
that that was great. Like it's so fantastic that you're doing what you're doing together. And I remember hearing the um, the person say, "Oh yes, they're just the marketing girls." And from the audience. Well, so this is from the room. There was this, from someone this, that we worked with, and right. so there was an audience member that was, "Wow, this is, they, they they're doing a really great job." And then someone that we work with said, "Oh, they're they're just the marketing wow. girls." And I remember in that moment, it was something that I was so angry, and I wanted to go over and say, "Absolute, here's here's all the reasons that we're not. Here's what we do. Here's how we've you know." And it was one of those things, and this happens every single week. And I probably have a moment like this every single week. For two days, I'm just, it's so frustrating, but it's <laughs> its kind of, I don't know, for me, I've just, I try to tell myself in the moment it's hard, but mm. everyone can make their own narrative and you can't change mm. what yeah. other people's narratives are. Correct. But it is is—it is impossible, I, I mean, to this point, and I mean, if you've you have obviously lived a much double, almost, a little bit more. <laughs> Oh my God. Totally. Let's not calculate. Double, no, no let's not count the first seven years of my life because I didn't do anything. Okay? I was a little kid then. But, uh, to, to, to hear from you that, you know, you still have time. And I think it's really special to hear that because it shows that we are always growing and there is no solution, you know, to being happy all the time, to being confident all the time, to feeling, you know, getting a, a letter like that where you haven't been understood properly and feeling like, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to worry about it. I just, I don't care what other people think. Because yeah. you, you can't never care, but it's just trying to work through how do you not let that letter define, you know, your, the next five years of your life. Mm. And destroy you. Exactly mm. right. So if you're, because my experience with a lot of successful people is that they tend to, they can at some stage, they probably all of them do at some stage, they do a bit of self-sabotage. Some successful people who might be in the, you know, arts industry, they might be performers, for example, they get on the drink or the drugs mm. or something like that and uh, they just destroy themselves. It's self-sabotage. It's nearly like sometimes, I don't know whether it's created by guilt, but sometimes we can, if we are successful, um, can look for a way to blow the money. Like I know guys made the first 50 million and they don't have any of it left. Mm. You know, Kills like <laughs> that happens. It does happen. Yeah, you go yeah, mad. yeah, of course. You know, how many times you've heard the stories about famous boxers like Mike Tyson that mm. hundreds of millions and they've got nothing. Mm. But, you know, they end up bring you back sometimes they can get back but do you have you experienced the self-sabotage environments and then I mean you mentioned before Steph that you um had self-image something or other like you're worried about you become obsessed about how yeah. you looked yeah do, do you feel as though you at any stage so sabotage yourself in that regard uh, I mean, yeah, so that, that point in my life was when I was uh, like young 20s. I think I was 20 years old when it was at its worst and I just kind of started modelling, moved over to New York um, and was really keen to kind of prove myself as a model. I think when you're an Australian model and you get to go overseas, it's like mm-hmm. you've got to come back with this like badge of honour of working with international clients. Um, and that wasn't happening for me and I was only getting um, – pressured from my agency to lose more weight. Um, mind you, I was like 10 kilos lighter than I am today or even more. Um, and that wasn't small enough. So it was a really unhealthy pattern and for, it took years to, to shake a lot of those habits and those thoughts. Um, there's no doubt about it. And I think a lot of my journey out of that period was thanks to the community that we've, we've been able to create through kick. I mean, a lot of the times when I was opening up to them about feeling really vulnerable or that some sort of habit had crept back into my mind. There was so many of them who could relate and encourage me through it. Um, that was really, really beautiful. And so I think since then it's only really been, um, 
maybe more in a career sense when it comes to running the business that those that those kind of insecurities and things have come up. Um, as I kind of touched on earlier, um, appearance is not my it's not my whole being. It's, that doesn't define you. No, it doesn't anymore. Anymore, um, and I know a lot of people would argue that, <laughs> and I think that that's like. I think I'm at that point now where I don't really care what they think. And if that's how they define me, fine. But I mean, I'm just going to get older. I've had a kid now and like, I don't know, maybe I'll have another one. I don't know. But um, there's things that change your appearance. You can't keep it the way that it looks. And so if people are going to define me by that, I'm going to make some people pretty unhappy over the next decade, I would say. But you probably don't um, care. <laughs> I mean, it's, you, you do care, but you don't care sort of thing. You, yeah. It doesn't affect you. No, not anymore. But for a long, long time, it, it has. And it's and it's not to say that it doesn't affect me any day. There could be a day that I'm feeling really crappy about work because I've had a really unproductive week and I've let things get to me. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm doubting myself um, in running the business. And then I'll see something that kind of feeds into that insecurity, maybe a judgment from someone or, um, you know, someone that might be acquaint acquaintance in my life who I haven't seen in years will well, you ask try me. you a bikini on that you used to wear and it doesn't fit yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something. Or they'll ask me if I've like, I don't know how my modeling's going and won't even bring up kick. And to me, that's the biggest message that they like, yeah. obviously have no, they just have not acknowledged what we do. Um, and then it'll affect me. And then I'll be like, no, actually, <laughs> we don't really have time for that anymore. Um, this is what we do. And I feel like I need to prove myself. So it's, it's not to say that every day is fine. It's just definitely more often than not. I have recognized in myself that I am really proud of where we're at and what we're doing. And that is my main focus. And it doesn't really matter what other people think. And I think having a business partner is really helpful in that sense, especially when they're your best friend, because I also see Laura go through that. And as Laura said, like she, she does get affected by it, um, those kind of things more than me. Um, and I think because I see that and I recognize that in her and it kills me because she is so intelligent. She's one of the most like intelligent people I know. Um, and she's really killing it. And there's no way our business would be where it is without her in our CEO role. So it's hard for me to see her judge herself in that way from from some stranger's comment or someone judging her in a, in the wrong light. So I think I I get these reminders every week um, from someone that I love that it, it doesn't matter what someone else thinks because I know that she's doing well. So I just try to flip it. Whenever yeah, but that's I'm that's that. sort of uh, you, you, when you were speaking that you remind me. Of, I, I I just thought about myself and my my brother who's been with me since he got out of law school at twenty four twenty three. Ever, ever since that that time, he's he's the dude. So when I had I got upset with this particular individual, I went straight to my brother. Mm. I vented, and he said, "Just chill out, right? Like it's okay." <laughs> Although he's much more aggressive than me normally, but you know, but you're right. You got to. It's good to have a partner. Yeah. In business, it's great to have a partner in business at a vulnerable moment or at a I don't want to say weaker moment, but let's say a vulnerable moment on any day of mm. any week of any year. Running a business, having in your case now a kid, but you know having husbands and mm. partners and every other thing that goes on in the world, um, if you're not fed properly, if you're not eating clean, if you're having late nights, not sleeping properly, uh, not exercising properly, how how important is that to being able to avoid these moments of, <laughs> I don't want to use the word weakness because it's not cool, but I'm going to use that moment. Hugely important. Hugely important. Um, and that's what this book's about, I get. Yeah, there's definitely elements of that. As Laura said, like 
you can't deny that sleep and, and working on your physical health and, and nutrition is definitely important when you're talking about health, healthy living, healthy life. Um, obviously we go into all the other stuff as well in the book, but nutrition, um, I mean, for me, because I've been down a route where I looked at food in such a different way, in such a restrictive way, um, the relationship I have with it now is very much based off the way I feel. So I know that I feel energized and I feel a lot clearer in my mind if the majority of the food that enters my body every day is whole foods. Um, but I also know that if I restrict myself from the foods I love, like Cadbury chocolate, <laughs> I'm very Hello, unhappy. Hello, Cadbury. <laughs> <laughs> Not sponsored. Cadbury. Not sponsored. They're no, just I'm the joking, best. <laughs> um, you know, I'm also that also affects my mood and the person that I am. And I think it's because of the years that I restricted myself from stuff like that. Um, I now know how to appreciate it and I can have it in my everyday and still have like that balanced approach and just not, I just don't look at food like that anymore. And I think I'm so proud to, to be able to say that because for so long I, I wasn't. And I know that there are so many people who wouldn't be able to relate to that. So I, I'm really fortunate, I think, to be in a place now where I don't look at food as good and bad. I just know which foods make me feel good, which foods can get me through the day, have a clear mind at work, get through a workout. And then even when it comes to working out, um, you know, I used to have this misconception that there was, um, that you'd have to kind of like kill yourself or really challenge yourself and, um, push yourself and that the exercise couldn't be something that you enjoyed. Like I dreaded it every day, but I dreaded it every day because it was used as punishment back in the day. Whereas now I look forward to it because it's time alone. It's time I'm giving back to myself and I will do the exercise or the movement that suits my mood or my energy at any given day. That could be a 10 minute yoga flow. It could be walk around the block or it could be, 30 minutes on the treadmill, like it, it differs day to day because I've learned how to tune into what my body is needing. And I go, going back to your question, absolutely. The weeks where, you know, we might be overwhelmed with work and we don't necessarily have as much time to fuel our bodies and we're getting, you know, more Uber Eats than usual and eating out and um, all that sort of stuff because work's really busy. Um, and maybe not having as much time for ourselves and for exercise, for sure, my stress levels are at an all-time high and I can get to breaking point quite easily. Um, but I think for us, we've both recognised the the kind of triggers or we've both recised those points where we know we're about to tip over the edge um, and to be Doesn't able to have help those. the other? Yeah, I was just about to say, to be able to have those conversations mm-hmm. with each other, it's like I need a minute. I mean, just the other week I had to text Laura. It was 9am and I was about to walk into the office and I said, I don't know why. But I feel like I'm going to cry if I walk into the office. Like I'm just feeling really emotional. I'm going to go walk and do a meditation. I'll be in the office at 10. She said, that's fine. First meeting's at 10 anyway. Um, How old's your baby again? My baby? Yeah. He's almost two. Okay, so he could have been sick. I mean, two-year-olds tend to wake up in the middle of the night too. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's all, there's always that. And, I mean, like I still I still struggle with mum guilt. Um, I absolutely love being a mum. It's fulfilled me like honestly, like nothing else. And, um, I think the biggest struggle that I have is balancing that relationship with what we do at kick, because that is also my first baby. And I I still love it so much. And I still, there's so much we want to do. And, um, it still fulfills me so much helping people every day. So it's really hard to play that tug of war of where I need to be, um, and at any given day. And so that does play on me emotionally, but, um, 
I think on that particular day, it was definitely just one of those low self-esteem days when it came to work and there'd been things going on at work and I did have an unproductive week and I just let it all get to me. But I think having a business partner that you can be open and honest with and be able to talk to about those kind of things is another thing that can get you through. So yeah, eating well and exercising, making time for that makes me tick, but also being able to have those like open communications with my partner does and too. I, and I think it's fair to say it's okay. Mm to have shit days. Yeah. And it's okay to feel really tired. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll be honest with you, before I walked in here today, Jess, our producer, was sitting over there in the corner, said, how are you today? And uh, I said, I feel really tired. I was up at 3 o'clock this morning. I don't know why I woke up so early. Oh, you're just so ex- excited. Excited to see you So guys. excited to see us. <laughs> and, totally uh, understandable. Uh, no, I, I, <laughs> and, uh, no, I actually went to bed pretty early and uh, I went to sleep at 9.30 and I'd had like six and a half hours or six odd hours of sleep and I just woke up and I thought, so I went up, got up, went to the gym, there's a 24 hour gym I can go to. And the, but, but of course I've been up since so early, I, start, I got tired. Like it's like yeah. three o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon for me now. But, but it, it, it's, I, Jess always asks me when I come in how I feel. I don't know why, maybe because she's trying to gauge the room. It's a nice room, thing but, to do. <laughs> but, but, and that's not something I'm used to, by the way. Yeah. No one does it in any other of my businesses. Um, but Jess is of your generation, so your generation is probably a more caring generation or <laughs> maybe a more open generation. I would dare ask me that in my other businesses. Um, they just wouldn't ask me because it's like a personal question. But it, it's nothing wrong mm. with admitting to yourself mm. and to others perhaps, but at least to yourself, that you don't feel very good today yeah. and that you are a bit flat. Yeah. Mm. What's actually brilliant in your case is that Laura will probably already see that. Yeah, she does. She knows when it's coming. Yeah. And she can backfill. Yeah. And I often say this to people, you know, when I got four sons, okay, mm. and uh, when they uh, from different mothers, not all different mothers, but I had three wives and um, and I, w- I worked like a million hours a, a week mm-hmm. and I never thought it was important to, um, you know, like uh, – necessarily be there with my sons all the time okay so you know i, I try to get there for sport on weekends mm-hmm. training if i could possibly get there but like nine to five the nanny looked after him mm-hmm. and uh and i always took the view that i'll do my work what mm-hmm. i gotta do because that's mm-hmm. i actually love my work as much as i love my sons yeah. and it's okay to say that yeah it is it is i love my work as much as i love my sons yeah it differently but as much would i put one before the other, well, that's, I don't have to work that out because yeah. the way I look at it is I'll do what I have to do at the time and I'll backfill. Mm. So I've neglected my sons so I'm going to go and spend some more time with them. Mm-hmm. Even now they're all grown men but I still feel as though I've got to ring them up and check on how you're going or what are you doing, let's have breakfast or I'm backfilling all the time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with backfilling. No. As long as you're doing it. As long as you're doing mm, it. Yeah. And as long as you recognise that's what, you, that's what you're yeah. doing or not doing. It's about recognizing what you do and not doing, and I'm 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 so glad to hear you say that at such a young age because it took me a long time to work that shit out, and I had a lot of uh, dad guilt, you mm-hmm. know, like uh, especially as a single father, like mm-hmm. you're not doing enough with your kids, mm-hmm. and then as soon as something goes wrong, you start to blame yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, that's because the reason he got into trouble is because I didn't spend enough time with him mm-hmm. along those sorts of lines, and we tend to, I, I mean, I, I asked you that question both of you about. Self-sabotage because I, I was someone who would do that to myself mm. many years ago and, and I mean sabotage myself in that I give myself an uppercut basically because f- because I feel as though I didn't let someone down and mm. I probably should have read your book <laughs> if it was out in those days but there was never books like this then. Mm. 
Nobody said this sort of stuff. Mm. I mean, maybe Mark Manson did, but it was, you know, probably still too late for me to read. Do you, I mean, you don't have a kid, but do you have the same feelings that Steph has? I mean, is she sort of psychically, uh, psychologically, whatever the word is, she, she's psychic in relation to how you're feeling? And is food and health really, physical health, really important to you to keep you balanced? Yeah, I mean, we're, it, mm. it's funny, I think we've merged a little bit, but I'm it's, extremely regimented and that's how... You become her and she's become you, is that what you mean? Well, we just, we kind of met halfway. I don't flow, like I'm just, I'm, I know, Steph, you're more, you some, you don't go with the flow as I much as you I can't anymore as a mum and like what, what we do with business, I can't anymore, but like definitely when we met, I was a go with the flow, very... And I'm like, I'll calculate back. the flow and then see if I can go with it. Yeah. Otherwise, I won't go. But that's why so we've that's, worked well that, together. It works. But I think for me, we kind of bring that back to health and health and fitness. Running for me is my meditation. Like As for in my, running on a running, treadmill or something. Yeah. Or, outside. or outside. This morning outside, yeah. I ran, actually, I did run this morning. Sydney City is very hard to run around. There's a lot of traffic Especially lights. I feel like I spent half the time at traffic lights. But anyway, <laughs> anyway I still did it. Um, anyway, so running for me is my form of meditation. It's interesting when I had a horrible relationship with with food and exercise and I was excessively exercising running, I ran. And you did the same thing. Yeah, but we had different. Very set, different. Di- I mean, Steph different, was, but for the same reason. It was, exactly right. you know, the it, driver was we, the way we looked and wanting to lose weight. It's also why we started, started kick. Yeah. It was right. one of the main reasons. We didn't want other people to, to go through it. And so for me, running used to be something that was a punishment, but now I've been able to completely change it. And now it's my, the way I can feel in control of my day, mm. pending to, through the book as well, this book is not a book that says you need to do this many workouts a week and this many eating, whatever, mm. and you're going to feel good because it really depends on how you're feeling each week. Just do what you can with what you have, right? So some weeks I don't feel up to it, but on the days that I have a really busy day or something I really want to, I'm really nervous about, or like this podcast is is really amazing that we're on it. Like, thank you so much for having us. Thank and so you. I wanted to run this morning because I wanted to have a really clear mind. And so it's my thing that I do that makes me feel in control of my day and that mm. routine that, and sometimes with the way we work, we don't always have time, but when I can fit that in, it kind of resets my, I don't know, my insides and I don't feel as stressed and I can manage things a lot better. You have the clearest mind. I mean, you, she often finishes a run or she'll try and message me during the run and then falls over. She's yeah, a very clumsy person. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, and she'll send me notes, like as in that we need to run through today or um, this is my thoughts on, on what happened last week. It, it just all comes clear to her during a run. So it's, mm. I can definitely see how um, how you do it for your mental health as much as you do for your physical health. I think this is a, a really, and I'm not here trying to, you know, like suck up to you guys, okay? But I, I think this <laughs> You're is- You're welcome to. No, I've, but I'm not here to do that. And, no. but, but I am in some respects because I think this book, and now you've taken me through it, is a really important um, piece for yourselves. Oh, yeah, we'll be To make a it. record of <laughs> for yourselves. Yeah. And But it's also important for those people that are your audience or who buy the book anyway at least to read- I think that um, this will be. This is like an inflection point in your your business lives or your lives. That's I think that's a big deal. To, actually, just in writing too. By the way, that's a big deal writing in the first place, but and then getting it published and um, then doing all the book signings and turning up to all the various places to, you know, to to share. And I've put books out, and I just thought to myself, why didn't I ever go to a book signing? I never actually. They asked me to a few times at Dimmicks, but I never went. I should have gone. I should have done that. that that's an experience I should have shared with people. But you guys have done something fantastic here. Um, I I just quickly want to ask you one thing. I mean, I understand that you're trying to go to the UK 
Is that right? Mm-hmm. And you're looking at raising money. Is that mm-hmm. where you're yeah. at? Mm-hmm. So what does that process look like for you guys? Like keep it clean, like for your your app and mm-hmm. your or your business, probably more importantly. How does the raising of money right now with the world's not that liquid mm. at the moment? Well, liquidity around the world has dried up a little bit because of, you know, inflation, high interest rates, blah, blah, blah. How's it looking? The ra- well, money raising part. I think it's interesting. I mean, the world, we were talking about this last night in terms of interest rates and working from home and just the two years, 2020 and 2021. The, the change in structure. It was so, such a big change and I think especially in terms of raising money. Yeah. And so being a tech company, tech companies were getting 50 times valuation. Mm. But I think from a – and that's amazing that people can go out and do that. Fantastic. All power to them. But I think obviously investors are wanting three to five times return. How – to return 200 times is pretty pretty hard. Mm. And so I think for us with Kick, we have been able to, we've, we wanted to make sure that before, because a lot of people I think say it's, you, you, it's like the journey of buying a house or, you know, living mm. a successful life with business. You start your business, then you go and raise money and it's like a tick. But it's for us, we never wanted to do it, obviously, for the sake of raising money because we haven't had to. We've been bootstrapped to this point. We wanted to build and we're also in an extremely competitive industry in the fitness and, and health and app space. And we wanted to build a sustainable business that we has we're profitable. We've got double digit EBITDA. We have had that from inception, and we wanted to make sure we could sustain that, and then also build the foundations to be able to scale to what we want to do now. Mm. Because without foundations, you can't build a house on sand, right? You have to have those foundations. So we've been investing in the foundations, in the team, ensuring that everything is structured correctly to now be able to take this step and help us. Now we really know what where we're going and what we're doing, and and we've tested it really in Australia, and we know. What we do. We do have users in over 120 countries, but the predominantly they're here in Australia. And so we're now ready to have those conversations. And I think being a business that is uh, cash flow positive and we do have those foundations set up in this market, in the conversations that we've been having, I mean, after this, we're, we're going to have some more now. We so far have, it's been really, really well received uh, because we have set up all of those foundations. And I think it's, we're not expecting a, you know, 50 times valuation like we maybe in 2020 could have got. But that's also okay too because I think especially when we are exploring these investment opportunities, it's it's probably not going to be the only time that, that we explore investment opportunities. And so we want to make sure that I think there's also in some ways, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this obviously because you've got so much experience yeah, in it. Yeah, while you're here. <laughs> in, while you're here, in, in being overvalued as a company in your first well, round. A yeah. That's a problem because yeah. then when you go for your second round, Correct, if you need it, problem. how are you going to show that you've added that value yep. in your evaluation? And then mm, the shareholder that you brought on is going to be extremely diluted. And so with all those things, we've always done it in a way that we, and also just, I think the way that Steph and I, our money values and the the way that we are, we definitely take risks. Obviously it's extremely important, except we've ne- we're never going to be the startup that hires a hundred people each week. It's just, mm. it's just not the way that we do things. Mm. Uh, and so I think that too is probably the way that we run the business is helping us in, in this environment. I, I think actually when, 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 when the world is, uh, choking on liquidity, which it was last mm. year and the year before during COVID, people who, who looked at being quite clever going out and getting 50 times, you know, mm. a, a multiple of 50 in terms of raising money and went and raised 10 or 20, 30 million dollars um, round one, mm. knowing that there's got to be round two and three because mm. there always is a round two and three. Um, the people who they raise the money for round one will not participate in round two and three. So the people who you talk to for round two and three say, is round one participating? That's the first question I always ask. 
is round one going to participate? When you and when you go to round one, you say, "Listen, I got I got I, I got you guys on a fifty times, but this time there's a less liquidity. Well, I got to do it on a twenty times. Mm. Not only they're not going to participate, they're pissed off, mm. and that the investor community is quite small, mm. relatively speaking, and it's a bad look. And sometimes you won't get the deal away. I think that in these environments, you're you can underpromise and overperform and raise money at a more normalised rate. Maybe now you might be at a little underdone because there's a lot of illiquidity around. You know, people going, oh, shit, I don't need to invest in these things anymore. I can put my money in the bank and earn mm-hmm. 6%. A lot of those people are going to disappear. Um, but sometime this year uh, it will normalise. Mm-hmm. So it's best to raise money when the market is either normalised or getting close to normalising and mm-hmm. We'll normalise, in Australia at least, we'll normalise sometime after March, April when the Reserve Bank stops doing what it's doing, uh, just kicking everyone in the guts. Mm. And <laughs> once that happens, the, our liquidity market, which you're going to tap into, will normalise. So, mm. you know, if you're doing rounds now and doing your pitches now, it's actually a good time to do it. I would say we're exploring. Yeah. I think that's where we're at now. Yeah, I think we're, we're in a just good position. Talking to people. We're not desperate that we need to, no. I shouldn't use that word, but we're not, you know, we can't, we have cash flow to operate yeah. the business for yeah. we have runway. So we don't need to worry that we're not going to be able to pay salaries yeah. in two months. So I think that's been a, it's been a nice way to have these conversations yeah. in a way that we're not, we don't need this yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. but how can we, you know, that's work a smart way and- to do it too, by the way, Laura, like just going saying, look, wouldn't mind touching base. We want to come and uh, meet and greet. We want to not necessarily pitch, but it is sort of pitch mm. because at some stage we might be doing something later in the year. Um, we just like to introduce you to our business. I mean, mm-hmm. the the tech stack and how all thing mm-hmm. works, you know, which is what they're all interested in. Mm-hmm. Give a little bit, and if you would like some more, you know, get into the weeds a little bit more, you know, give us a, give us a call and we'll you know set something up. That's a smart way to do it. Mm-hmm. To some extent, I would say you're lucky that the liquidity boom stopped mm-hmm. because it's a better environment to allow you to expand into other markets in due course over the next five or ten years. You're still young. Mm. You've got a ten-year, you know, horizon ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some stage someone might come and try and buy you like they bought the sweat app, you know. that. Um, but whoever bought the sweat app probably thinks they probably paid too much today. And I know a lot of businesses mm. sold. I'm not saying sweat app was sold for too much, you know. We love the sweat guys. But the health and fitness industry, subscription yeah. in general, has changed since 2020 yeah. because we all saw a boom in 2020 that you cannot replicate now no. because it was no one could go to the, the gym, gym so sure. they had no yeah. other yeah. option. Correct. Now people have options and it's been fantastic because the shift in mindset, some people thought I can't work out at home or I don't want to follow an app at the gym. They now are open to that. So the, the mm. environment and the, the amount of people that we're able to kind of reach has grown. That's fantastic. However... You, the growth that businesses were having in 2020 to think that, and at a time, we were at a time, I mean, it's why everyone was getting these valuations. You've grown by 200% this year. So next year, can you do 400% in yeah, your yeah, small totally. money? That's when people are back in the gym, that's pretty hard to do. Yeah. And so I think too, in terms of the, the fitness industry as well, it's been really great because it's opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that you can have an app in your pocket that has, you know, recipes, mindfulness and workouts. You don't, maybe for a lot of people, a PT is inaccessible because of the price point. They might have a gym membership. They want to know what to do. That's where they can have that support, right? For us, we're $20 a month. So it's, we want to be accessible price point. And that's great. That audience has opened up, but as well, it is more 
competitive now because gyms are more op- are open again. But that's the norm. It's not normal to yeah. be locked down. Correct. Yeah. So and I think what, it is a good time for us. It is a good time too, as well as when you sell into those environments, investors aren't stupid, uh, they put conditions on there. So they say, well, we'll give you some now and we'll give you the balance down the track. But it depends on hitting, like you just said, like mm-hmm. you're running 200%. Well, we expect to grow 300, 400, whatever over the next few years. And if you don't, we'll be, we'll be reducing the, the price. We never hear about I'm not saying anyone I know this, that's happened to, but I've been through that process myself when I sold the wizard business. You know, we sold it for a huge amount of money back in 2000, uh, 2004. Um, but equally, there were conditions put on there too in terms of there was an installment process and you, know, and you had to satisfy the conditions. I was lucky because the 2008 GFC didn't hit until after all my conditions had been satisfied. But if I had been two years later, um, the GFC would have hit mm-hmm. and I would never have been able to con- uh, satisfy the conditions because, you know, the GFC killed liquidity in my world, stopped people borrowing money. We couldn't lend money to people and you couldn't even do it then what I was doing back in mm-hmm. 2004. So, yeah, so so for those people who sit around thinking, oh, God, you know, it was so good. You know, you they raised all this money during, you know, 2020 or 21 or 22. You know, it's it's unfair. Well, no, it's not unfair. Actually, markets change, condition the situation sort of restructures mm. and there's an advantage for you to miss out on that sometimes as well. But- uh, absolutely. And I think too it's I don't think as a business, which is why we didn't try and raise money yeah, in 2020, we were equipped yeah. to if we got that evaluation, to know what to do with that money. No. And that's also, that's when I think it gets really, really risky because then you think, oh, I should, I've got the money. I've got to do something. I need to spend it. Yeah. And you start spending it in maybe brand awareness, great thing to invest in, but maybe team and all of these things that your business is not set up for or yeah. the foundations aren't set for and then you blow all the cash. You overspend. And over then spend. what do you do? Yeah. And I think that's why now we yeah. we have got all those plans in place because we're not, again, we were only going to try and raise money and explore this kind of these opportunities if we needed the money and we knew how we're going to spend it and we had kind of what, if we spend this money, this is what we're going to get out of it and this is where we're going to do it. You've got to be very clear, you're right, actually, because when investors, when you're talking to investors, the first thing they say is where, what's the spend? So show me where, you, where the application of the money that you're going to raise. And uh, they can smell bullshit. Mm-hmm. really quickly. Like if you just go into the market because you know you're going to tap the market there's plenty of money around, um, they'll know that straight up. But then as soon as you've got the money you're right, they'll be on your back. Why haven't you spent the money? Because there's negative carry for them. So if they're, if you raise, uh, you know, $50 million and, and because you're going to go some, spend the money on, you know, another environment, you're going to go to London or you're going to go to the US, whatever the case may be. And if you don't, the investors sees that as being money just sitting in the bank mm-hmm. and that that is what they call negative carry. Mm-hmm. Because you're not adding the value that you told them that you're going to add, mm-hmm. so then you get pressured to spend the dough, and when you start getting pressured to spend the dough, no, nine times out of ten you'll spend too much. Yeah, you'll spend on the wrong things. Mm. So this is all about proper timing, proper programs, you know, uh, well thought out and patient purpose. Mm. And I, I, so that's probably my answer to your question. Um, now is as good a time as any. In fact, it's probably better than it was before if you are well positioned yeah. to go down that track. Or maybe you're just going to do some meet and greets and just start to warm people up and see, gauge the market yourself. Mm. What are what sort of multiples are people interested in investing in? Do you, can I just ask you one more question before I go? Or before because I know you've got you've got things to do. But 
Do you engage someone to do this for you? Do you have a, a lead, you know, a lead on this? We have. Yeah, you see. We have got someone um, that we're working with um, that we're kind of doing a road show. Yeah, 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 what, yeah. What yeah. We, what so they you, call you it. see, yeah, it's road show. So you, you get a lead, so like a investment manager, or you'll get someone who knows these people, these investors, will take you around the, to all the various shops. Exactly right. But I think with Kik, we are really lucky in that. We uh, and we we had a really great interview with the AFR a few weeks ago, which I'm guessing yep. you read how yep. you, how you knew that, and because the AFR's audience is there's a lot of investors that, yep. that read the AFR, so They're we the have people read it. No one else reads yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're lucky in that. Oh, sorry, I need to stop using the word lucky because we created it. I, I yep. do think luck came into it, but not 100. percent That the interest in Kick because we have established a very well known brand within Australia, especially targeting 20 to, to 30 year old young women, it is really hard to, because as we've spoken about today, we define things really differently. We are different. We think differently. It's hard. And so I think a lot of people have identified that and seen that Kik is doing a really, really great mm. job in the area. And so, so far we've, it's been really wonderful having the conversations because instead of always having to pitch, obviously there's always the pitch and, you know, explaining the business, the context of who we are, what we do, how strong our brand is, is, is there. Um, which has been a really great way to to start it. And access to that audience, you're a broadcaster in some respects. You have a product, but you're also a broadcaster. So because these people are listening to what you say, and I don't want to say you're an influencer, but you other We do, people, we influence people. Yeah, but people yeah. see your ability to influence someone mm-hmm. in, re- in relation to perhaps a product or a service. Mm-hmm. And that could be any investor. It could be, uh, it could be a newspaper. It could be... A television company. It could be all sorts of people who are interested in this sort of stuff. It could be media-based companies interested in this sort of stuff. I mean, we see that, you know, people like um, you know, Disney and all those, Disney Plus, et cetera, they, they're interested in these sorts of environments, mm. um, it, especially if they're global, but particularly, you know, probably here in Australia as well. So I, I think, yeah, it's pretty exciting uh, where you guys are at. I mean, it's, I know you launched a book and all that sort of stuff, but your kick business the business itself is very exciting and uh, the fact that you're besties and, yes, mm-hmm. you're only young and you've got so much stuff ahead of you, it's so cool. I, I'm thank really you. glad you came in. I appreciate your time and uh, thank, thank you very much. And I, I can't wait to get you guys to sign it for me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Podcast.